0: If you would, turn the Bible to Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one. This morning, for our Christmas message, we will look at how God keeps his promises. For the Advent season, our four Sundays, we have lit a, 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 a different candle every Sunday. All four are lit now. And the first candle, which was three Sundays ago, was for promise needed, that this fallen world and we sinful people need a promise from God and he gives one. So week two, or two weeks ago, uh, with the second candle, we preached on promise made. God makes promises, and we're gonna talk about that this morning, God makes promises. So then week three, which was last week, we looked at what it looks like to live anticipating that promise, that God said some things, now when are they going to happen? And at this point, throughout history, the majority of the history of the world has been wondering what is the Savior, what is the salvation that God will provide? And Now here we are, Christmas week, looking at promise kept, promise fulfilled, if you will, that God has done what he said he would do, that God is a promise keeper, a promise fulfiller, that his promises have been fulfilled and we praise him for that. In short, here it is. God told us that he is a saving God, that he is the God of salvation and that he would send a savior and he has sent a savior the baby of Christmas. This most wonderful story is none other than God's Son, the Savior of the world, our Lord, Master, and King Jesus. He is the King of all kings. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And one day, every knee will bow to Jesus, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father in heaven. We look forward to that day. It is Truly, our deepest desire to stand before Him forgiven of our sins. That's what Christmas is about. Jesus shows us that God keeps His promises. I want us to look at Luke chapter 1. And we're gonna look at one little statement at the beginning of Mary's song. The Magnificat is what it's called. We've been looking at this every Wednesday night for the month of December, if you've been following along. And this song here is Mary's song in response to her finding out that she's pregnant. This young, unmarried, she is engaged, Virgin girl Mary is told by God's angel that she is carrying a child. She asks one question, how? Which is a great question. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit's done this to you, and you are going to have the Savior of the world. And she says, praise the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I am a servant of God. After that, she's visited by her relative Elizabeth. She is also pregnant with John the Baptist. It's a cool little scene. And right after that, Mary breaks out into song. It's a fascinating study that she had this much truth in her, that she had this much heart and desire and awareness and knowledge of God inside of her, and she bursts out into a song. But I want us to focus on the first line of Mary's song. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices. In God, my savior. Now this is a loaded statement from young Mary that she knows God to be her savior, that she knows this, uh, this, this amazing uh, pregnancy, this miracle that God has done is the fulfilling of all the promises of God, that this one inside of her would be her child but would be the king of glory, that he would grow up and die on the cross for the sins of the world. Mary knows this, and she is singing about how delighted she is in worship of God, her savior. This is loaded. Now in first Samuel chapter two in the old Testament, we have Hannah uh, finding out that she is going to have a baby and she prays a prayer very similar to this. And hers begins with the same thing. She says, my heart exults in the Lord for I have seen his salvation. She understands that God is a saving God. And it is here in light of this that I want us to focus today, this Christmas Sunday, if you will. Number one, that God keeps his promises specifically dealing with salvation. God makes promises. I wonder if you know that. God makes promises. We have a big book here that is full of them. I hope you will read it. I hope you will be committed to somebody that will teach it. I hope you will be committed on Sunday mornings to finding somebody that teaches this word because quite frankly, there is a lot here, is there not? There's 66 books. It's double column in mind. It's that fat, if you will. I mean, there is a lot here, and it is full. Give me a second now. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, give me a second. Um, it is full of the promises of God, and God has so many promises, but what I want you to see today is that not only that he makes these promises, that he keeps his promises, and that's what Christmas is about. God is a promise-keeping God, but as you and I know, and we may not think about it enough, listen to me. A promise is only as good as the one who makes the promise. And that is a very sobering truth, is it not? A promise is only as good as the one who makes the promise. On the way out today, I thought this would be a good closing and, you know, really way to drive this home. I thought about as y'all all walk out today and dismissing, saying, hey, Merry Christmas to you all. And, and since I want y'all to have such a good Christmas, I'm about to send you a million dollars for you to enjoy at Christmas. I promise you, I will. Now, that would be wrong for me to say that because that would start to speak to like me being a liar and not trustful and, you know, a lack of character and all of that. But I guarantee you that there would not be a one of you all, right? Y'all are some sharp people that would walk out of here going, I can't wait to check the mail in a couple days. Josh Green is going to send me a million dollars. He promised he would, right? You wouldn't think it for a second, but it was a promise. See, a promise is only as good as the one who makes the promise. It was April 2nd of 2005 when North Carolina went to the final four and won that game and advanced to the Monday night, April 4th, to win the first championship under Roy Williams. That was a big day in my life, April 2nd. But that was also the day that Val and I got married. On April 2nd, 2005, Val and I got married in Gastonia, North Carolina. And we stood in a church. We were surrounded by a lot of people. And right there in front of everybody, we looked each other in the eye and we made vows to each other. That was 15 years ago. We've been married 15 years, and that's a long time. But one of the things that I'm so happy about is that in me choosing her, those vows mean a lot to me, but I also believe that she will keep those vows and those promises. It may be hard, but she loves me, and I love her. And those are promises that we have made to each other for richer or poorer, in sickness or in health, in good days and in bad days, for better or for worse, for a long time, forever, as long as we both shall live, that we will love and commit ourselves to each other. Those are big promises, are they not? Huge promises. But they are only as good, truly, as the one who makes the promise. And are they going to keep those? Well, we feel that when we talk about marriage and wedding because it does seem to be so massive. But how much bigger of a promise is it when God tells the world that you have sinned against him and he now does not receive you Because you have rejected him, and your sins have separated you from God, and to sin against God is to be under condemnation, which the Bible teaches, which God says. But he doesn't stop there, and he promises that he loves us still, and he sends a Savior to be the Savior of the world. He promises us that whoever will turn from their sins and believe, 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 they will be saved. He promises us that. And yet here we are hearing the promises of God week in and week out. We read our Bibles. We listen to the word. We are thankful that Christ alone is the savior. And we believe that because the one who made the promise is faithful and true. The one who made the promise is trustworthy. God is a promise maker and God is a promise keeper. Now here's the thing is for as real as that sounds and for as real as that is to me in my life, there is still a world of people and perhaps even some of you here today that are like, you know, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure about that. It sounds good. Different strokes for different folks. I mean, I get that you're into it, but I don't know about that. And I wonder if a promise is only as good as the one who makes it, what is it that we know or don't know about the one who makes this promise. It's not in the promise. It's in our inability to believe the promise maker or our unwillingness to believe the promise maker. Have you ever thought about that? Why is it that you doubt God's promises? Well, that's a loaded question and a lot to unpack. But let me say this. Perhaps You have been let down in life by so many other people that cannot keep their promises that now you don't believe promises. Maybe you've had so many promises not fulfilled. You've had so many rides not pick you up. You've had so many Checks not come in. You've had so many people not show up. You've had so many boyfriends walk out on you or girlfriends not like you. You've had so many parents or grandparents let you down that you think now promises aren't meant to be trusted. And I want to wake us up to how dangerous this life is. I'm serious. I want to wake us up today at Christmas time to how dangerous this life is if our inconsistencies are causing people to think that God is inconsistent on his promises. Can we be shaken for that? You know how scary it is for us to baptize five little kids? They've not even hit puberty yet, right? They don't even have any idea what the teenage years are like. They don't know about this brutally cruel world yet. They don't. It's coming, isn't it? It's coming. And there's a very real chance that life smacks them right in the face. There's a very real chance that somebody lets them down. There's a very real chance that somebody they depended on and trusted in and needed lets them down. And I pray, I pray, I pray that as the discipleship starts here right now, it's actually already began. but as the discipleship starts here right now, that anything in their life would not hinder them from thinking that God doesn't keep his promises. Listen to me, he does, he does. And if you're here today thinking everybody lets me down, I can't trust anybody, and that's why we see it on social media all the time. I'm done caring about everybody else. I'm just going to start looking out for me from now on. If that is you, and you are thinking that you cannot trust God because you can't trust anybody, listen to me, trust God. It is true. You may not be able to trust anybody in this fallen world, but you can trust God who keeps his promises. May we never think that we cannot trust God to keep his promise. He will, he will, he will. So when I say he will, that means we're thinking about now living after the Christmas story and wondering, will we make it to heaven? But what Christmas is so good about is that it's showing us now that God keeps his promises. But that's my second point and I'm not there yet. A promise is only as good as the one making the promise, and God promised us salvation. This is an awesome study, and I was overwhelmed over the last month. I'm so thankful for the other guys that preached uh, here in in December, Uh, but I was overwhelmed over the last month as I studied and prepared on just this idea of the promise of salvation. I wanted to share this with you. That it is the promise of God throughout his entire revelation from Genesis to the middle of the Bible, to the end of the Bible, that he is a saving God. There are a lot of themes in the Bible, right? The love of God is a great theme. The reign of God and his kingship is a great theme, right? But his salvation perhaps is the biggest theme throughout scripture. And I want to show you this. God promised salvation to the world. And we see this everywhere. In Genesis 49, 18, as we get to the end of the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob kind of story, and Jacob now blesses his 12 sons, which would be the 12 tribes of Israel, he says this, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. He's a patriarch. God changes his name to Israel. For all of the discussion in the world about Israel and who it is and what it is and what it means and all of that, that guy, Israel, says, I wait for your salvation, I don't have it, I need it, you'll send it, I believe it, i wait for it. In the next book of the Bible, Exodus, Moses in chapter 15 says, the Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. There is no other salvation. It's not that Moses was the greatest leader and prophet we've ever had other than Jesus. It's not that Moses was the one who did miracle after miracle through the power of God. His salvation is in God. As I've already mentioned, 1 Samuel 2, Hannah's prayer, because I rejoice in your salvation, God. 1 Chronicles sixteen twenty three, sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. In the Old Testament, people were to be talkers and proclaimers and sharers that God saves. The salvation is outside of us. He is a saving God. In our call to worship today, totally unplanned, Psalm 3 Verse two said, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. That was true then. That is true now. There are people at home right now shaking their heads at us that we're here thinking that a baby born is the savior of the world. They say, you're not really being saved. That's a bunch of hoopla. You're trying to create some good karma during the holidays. And that's what they said in Psalm three. But at the end of Psalm 3, verse 8, the psalmist answers back and says, salvation belongs to the Lord. And that is the phrase throughout the Bible. Salvation belongs to God. If there is any salvation, it is God. In the prophets, Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness. Listen to this, who publishes salvation. Who says to the Lord, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The prophets were declaring that it's beautiful when people say God is the Savior. Lamentations 3 from Jeremiah as he was crying he says it is good that we should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord Zechariah 9:9 9, 9, rejoice greatly o daughter of Zion shout aloud o daughter of Jerusalem behold your king is coming to you listen to this is a christmas prophecy your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey. Zechariah 9.9 predicted the entering of Jesus on a donkey, but he was bringing salvation, the Old Testament said. Salvation is the theme. Salvation is the promise from God who keeps his promises. May you not this Christmas think of Jesus on any other term before you think of him as savior of your soul, forgiver of your sins, redeemer of your most valuable life in God. Even in the song that we sing all the time, amazing grace, we hear amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved There's the word, salvation, that saved a wretch like me. God makes promises and God keeps promises, specifically salvation promises. From there, we roll into the New Testament. My second point this morning is that Christmas is about God keeping his promises. Not only does God keep his promises, but Christmas is about God keeping his promises. As we roll right into the New Testament, the very first page, and the very first chapter, Matthew 1, says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The same theme. The same theme coming from the Old Testament to the New Testament is salvation through Jesus. And then... After Matthew, we have Mark, and then we have Luke. And Luke, who's where we're at today, gives us the most of anybody on the birth story, the birth narratives, if you will, the infancy passages, they're often called. It's Luke 1 and 2. And this is a huge theme. Look with me in Luke 1. So we started at verse 47, okay? I wanna show you this. Now, this is Luke writing. Luke was a faithful follower of Christ, he was a doctor. It's very well written. Verse 47, Mary rejoices in God my Savior. Look at verse 69. This is Zechariah's prophecy. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us. That there is not a salvation. We needed one. Promise needed, promise made, promise anticipated, promise kept, promise fulfilled. God raised him up. Look at verse 71, that we should be saved. Look at verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people. Salvation is a learned thing. You must hear upon the gospel of Christ. You must learn the good news You must hear that God loves you and he sent his son Jesus to die for you because your sins have separated you from God and God raises up people to go and publish that news, to share that news, to tell that news. And that is what we have there in verse 77. You get over into chapter two, it's still the same thing. Now they're telling the shepherds in verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, the announcement, the pronouncement from the angels to the shepherds in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night, a savior has come. Staying in chapter two, that most interesting scene of Jesus presented at the temple and that man, Simeon, Being able to see Jesus and hold him says in verse 29 of chapter 2, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Look at verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I just showed you that the whole Old Testament... Is talking about the coming salvation, the coming salvation, the coming salvation, that God has promised salvation. We get here to the New Testament and the angel tells Mary and the angel tells Joseph, your baby is going to be the Savior. He's born. The angels tell the shepherds, the Savior has come. They take him to the temple and Simeon says, this is it. My eyes have seen salvation. He's holding a baby. And he says, I've seen salvation. God keeps his promises, and Christmas is showing us that God keeps his promises, specifically his promise to save people. He is a savior. This is what Christmas is really and truly all about, and it is awesome. Now, Christmas becomes a lot of things, does it not? Now, because of COVID, we're all limited somewhat. We're not as busy and stressed as we normally are but it's pretty typical for this time of year to be as sweet as it can be and yet also as stressful as it can be. Many of us are still gonna be checking Amazon to see if the passages can still get here by Christmas. Many of us are gonna be trying to see what is open on Christmas Eve. Can we go buy another present? Christmas is a big holiday and there's a lot that goes with it. And we've already made some Christmas cookies. We've already made a Christmas hot chocolate. We've been doing a lot of things around Christmas and it just becomes so wonderful. On the first Saturday of December, Faraday had light up Faraday and we went out there and we looked at the lights and we lit the tree and we sang Christmas carols and it was pretty cool. Christmas brings all of those things. But we cannot miss that Christmas is about the fulfilling of God Almighty's grandest promises of a Savior and the baby being that Savior. You must believe that. Now, our family has tried each year to do what we call our little Advent devotionals. And every night during this Advent season, we get together no matter what time it was. Last night, it seemed like it was 11 o'clock with our little kids up way too late, but we're not gonna skip it. And we read the Bible and we go through some things and we sing songs. And it's cool because the older they get, the better they are at singing. Well, at least better they are at trying to sing. And we have been singing... Oh, come all you faithful, hark the herald, and away in the manger as a family every night. It's been awesome. We have loved doing that. And one of the things that we do is we read from the real Bible, the, the actual Bible. We also read from some kids' Bibles. If you don't have a kids' Bible, there is still time for you to get one. This right here is the best of the best. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. It is awesome. I would encourage everybody to get one. I want to read to you how the chap first chapter begins. It says the Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is that it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and how he comes to rescue us. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story, and at the center of the story, there is a baby. Now, oh, That's what Christmas is about. That the victorious, warrior, king, sovereign, almighty God that will make sure the world recognizes him as God loves us and in patience and kindness and goodness and grace sent his son to not be a baby, but to grow up and be an innocent, holy God, man, Jesus, that would suffer and die on the cross for your sins. That is what Christmas is about. God is keeping those promises. And at the center of the story, there is a baby. And every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in the puzzle, a piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you see a beautiful picture when you understand that the baby of christmas is the fulfillment of the promises of god for him to be the savior of the world god is a promise making god he is a promise keeping god and we see this very clearly at christmas when we understand what christmas is really about I also wanted to share with you some awesome quotes about just what it means for Jesus to be God in the flesh, the coming one to be the savior of the world. Listen to these comments from one commentator. Christ who in eternity rested motherless upon the father's bosom and in time rested fatherless upon a woman's bosom. Clasping the ancient of days who had become the infant of days. What deep descent from the heights of glory to the depths of shame, from the wonders of heaven to the wickedness of earth, from exaltation to humiliation, from the throne to the tree, from dignity to debasement, from worship to wrath, from the halls of heaven to the nails of earth, from the coronation to the curse, from the glory place to the gory Place. In Bethlehem, humility and glory in their extremes were joined, born in a stable, cradled in a cattle trough, wrapped in swaddling clothes of poverty, no room for him who made all rooms, no place for him who made and knows all places. Oh, deep humiliation of the creator, born of the creature woman. But in his descent was the dawn of mercy Because we cannot ascend to him, he descends to us. That is what Christmas is about. That is why we love this holiday, whether we're getting any presents or not. That is why we love this Christmas season, whether you like lights or trees or carols or shopping or anything, because it reminds us That the God who made us loves us. And he promised us he does. And he promised us that he would send a savior. And Jesus is that savior. Number one, God makes promises and keeps his promises. Number two, Christmas is about God keeping his promises. And then finally, lastly, Jesus is truly the savior of the world. One commentary says, in declaring God to be great, speaking of Mary here in her song, she resonates with Hannah's exaltation at the birth of her son in speaking of salvation. In declaring God to be great, she connects with the psalmist's expectation that God will contend against his enemies, as you see in the Psalms. And Habakkuk's prayer that God will act mightily to save his people. As the prophets told us that God is a savior, Mary in her song is connecting those things. She's a reflection of those things. It casts her as a model of piety. Listen to this. Her cousin Elizabeth is the first one to hint that Jesus is Lord as God is Lord, but Mary is the first to hint that Jesus' birth will bring salvation. It is in this pregnancy that she declares, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Think about that. And it's this truth that we see resounding throughout Luke's first two chapters and the entire word of God. Without God's promises, there is no salvation Without God's promises, there is no promise of salvation. And if there is no promise from God for you and I to believe, then really and truly, what is your hope? What are you thinking? What's your plan? How are you gonna get there or not get there? It is the promises of God that bring us hope. There's no salvation to believe in. There's no salvation to look for. There is no salvation to comfort us apart from the promises of God. Without God keeping and fulfilling his promises within the Christmas story, there is no salvation. You do not have heaven or a way to heaven without Christmas. Have you considered that? When we speak about it's more blessed to give than it is to receive and the spirit of the season is making sure I don't spend all my money on me, right? And loving your neighbor and caring for somebody, lending a helping hand. When we talk about Christmas being like that, I'm all for it. Those are selfless, godly examples of what it means to live our lives. But may we not miss that Christmas is truly about God's promised Savior coming. The New Testament knows this and believes it with such strength and courage and power. In Acts chapter 4, The apostle Peter would speak up and say, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus, 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 Christ alone, cornerstone, he is the savior of the world. In 1 Timothy chapter one, the apostle Paul would write, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is the point, he came to save sinners. Or what about the end of this book, Revelation, where we see all of the redeemed gathered around the throne in Revelation 7, And we hear them crying out. And I want you to hear what it is they say. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. What a scene, right? And crying out, listen to this, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It is absolutely overwhelming if you are a student of the Bible to think that's what Jacob is. Israel said in Genesis. That is what Moses said in Exodus. That's what the psalmist said in our call to worship day in Psalm 3. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And in heaven, if you get there, you will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, who is no longer a baby, and you will sing your hearts out saying, salvation belongs to you. You got me here, Jesus. It was your life. It was your death. It was your blood. It was you that saved my soul. Salvation belongs to you, God, That is what the Bible wants you to believe. He is a saving God, and Christmas is all about that. Well, that's only chapter seven of Revelation. The Bible keeps going, and it ends on a high note saying, come, Lord Jesus. You know that, right? It ends by saying, come, Lord Jesus. But that's totally connected to Christmas because Advent means coming, so this is the first Advent that we're selling at Christmas. I don't, I don't know if you know this. You know, A lot of times in church, we use words that nobody knows what they mean, and we act like we know what they mean. Advent means coming, okay? It means coming. It's talking about the first coming. So these candles are, you know, Advent candles. That's referring to Christmas the first time he came. But the Bible says overwhelmingly, he's coming again. That's the second Advent. It's coming back. And the Bible ends with the absolute hope, he's coming again. He's coming again. But before it says that, I'm looking at Revelation chapter 19. This is where they're about to have the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is where all the redeemed are sitting at a table, if you will, with God to eat a meal in fellowship, in salvation, in glory. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. This is chapter 19. We are literally moments away from God's book ending. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. It is the theme. You could ask me right now to turn to any book of the Bible and they will be speaking about the salvation of God. This Christmas Sunday, you need to believe that he is your savior. You need to bow your knee and bow your heart and say, oh God, save me. In closing, I want to read you from another kid's book. It's not exactly a kid's Bible, but it is outstanding. It's called The Biggest Story from Kevin DeYoung. and I want to read it to you. If you don't have this one, I would like for you to get it. It's awesome. It speaks a lot about the promises of God. I pick up in chapter seven. It's got some of the best illustrations too. It says, believe it or not, once things were going really badly at the end of the Old Testament, God's promises had not gone anywhere. In fact, God kept on making more promises all the time. God promised that the snake crusher, Abraham's child, Judah's lion, David's son, would come from Bethlehem. He told us that, and he did. He promised that he would be born of a virgin, and he was. God promised that there would be a messenger come before him that would prepare the way, and he did with John the Baptist. God promised that the deliverer would die and live again and be a light to the nations. God promised lots of amazing things. But Israel was too busy disobeying God's commands and ignoring God's warnings to even notice God's promises. God sent miraculous prophets like Elijah and Elisha and rebuking prophets like Amos and Malachi and sad prophets like Jeremiah and good news prophets like Isaiah. And it didn't matter which ones God sent or how many, the people never listened. Not for very long anyway. And so one day it happened. God stopped sending the prophets. No more warnings, no more direction, no more word from the Lord, only silence for 400 years. God gave them an opportunity and 10,000 chances, but still sin, and the serpent, the devil, seemed to be winning until all of a sudden, they lost. After all of these downs and not too many ups, we come to a manger in the little town of Bethlehem. This is where we meet the new Adam, the child of Abraham, the son of David. It's with the stinky shepherds and the singing angels where we see the real deliverer, the real judge, and the real conqueror. No one understood it completely at the time, but when Mary pushed out that baby, God pushed into the world, the long-expected prophet, priest, and king, God was giving his people salvation. Of course, some things were different than people had expected. The stable with the animals and the scandal with unmarried Mary were surprises to most folks. The miracles were remarkable. The teaching was unlike anything anyone had ever heard. The bumbling band of hand-picked disciples, that was curious. But the biggest surprise to everyone was that the chosen one of God was chosen by God to die. It just didn't seem right that the one destined to crush the serpent would be crushed himself. So when Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God, died on the cross that Friday afternoon, it seemed a shocking evil beyond belief. And it was, it was the worst thing that's ever happened in the world. But it was also the best thing that's ever happened in the world. Just as we would expect from God, just as God planned it, we break promises so God keeps his. Did you hear that? We break our promises and we are let down and let people down I hope not often, but it happens. But God keeps his. We run from God and so God comes to us. We suffer for sin. So the Savior suffers for us. Merry Christmas to you. God loves you. And that baby, Jesus, is not a baby anymore. He grew up. He connected with us. He has been tempted in every way. And whatever deep pain, loneliness, struggle, arrogance, pride, doubt you feel right now, he knows all about it. And in willingness and humility, was crucified on the cross for you. And if you will repent of your sins and ask him to save you, he will. God promises it and he keeps his promises. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so very much for the truth of your word and Mary knowing that you are the savior. God, it's overwhelming to think that this young girl knew that, got that, and knew your promises. God, may we know them too. Father, may we not experience Christmas this year not knowing whether you love us and forgive us and that you're our savior. Father, we ask that you would save us now.